I fell into a ring of fire. I fell in. When you kiss me, fever, when you hold me tight. Fever. Welcome to Fever FM. I'm joined by Dale and Cam. Hello, all. Evening. Just, just the committed tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Just the, just the not drinking on the beach in Fiji tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm willing to give Dave a pass on that. Fiji sounds pretty nice, uh, especially after the football we've had to suffer through. Yeah. Yes. Um, how much do we want to talk about this, or just talk amongst ourselves? It feels. Maybe we should separate it into the first half and the second half. <laughs> that's, uh, that's probably fair, mate. But um, no, we probably should talk about it because from what we've seen up to this point, which has been quite promising, uh, and the, you know, like in the in the opening two rounds with, you know, obviously no res- no win, but you know, there's there's been some really good promising signs there. Um, they seem to pretty much be gone in that first forty five minutes against the Jets. Okay, so on Saturday, uh, the Phoenix men's team uh, went across to Newcastle. Their first, really their first proper away trip in two and a bit years. Um, And should we say that they started sluggishly? Um, Yes, Uh, I'm trying to couch my words quite carefully. Um, Starting off with a um, typical Soterio effort of getting himself offside in the first minute. That no, wasn't him. It was Bahaja, wasn't it? The first, the first pass, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I just assumed someone was offside. It was Soterio. No, I mean, the, the commentators had no idea what was going on, so that's probably why you, you've been confused yourself. I was also reading your notes, so, you know, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so someone was offside, and that kind of saved a, bit, a, a few blushes, but unfortunately, blushes were not saved three minutes later, the fourth minute. Uh James McGarry jumps up to um, inflict just that extra bit of pain by being a cast-off that we let go in favour of getting a Newcastle player online, which I'm still not understanding, but he pipes up and finishes a nice little interchange and movement across in traffic. It was a nicely taken goal. Shame he wasn't doing it in different colours. We gave him plenty of opportunity to do it for us, but he never seemed to. So I can understand why we let him go. But that was, um, yeah, it was a lovely finish, mate, and showed what will come to pass, from, in my opinion, as the massive gaping hole we had at six, because there was just, you know, massive space for him to wander into and finish at the top of the box. So it was just, yeah, really, really poor defending. I, I'm going to be the, the happy-go-lucky guy, I think, this way, because... Um, it was a touch a bit unlucky because I think Yukakovic came across, got half a tackle, and it just dropped to McGarry again to, to take. So there's chances that created by a bit, little bit of fortunate bounce of a ball and, and you know, um, could have easily gone anywhere else and snuffed it out. But, yeah, I don't think McGarry would score another shot from outside the box with a standing foot like he has. So um, just caught one of those ones that... It's uh, unfortunate. It is unfortunately a typical Knicks thing to do is to concede one uh, 
out of nowhere and definitely to concede one to the Jets when we really shouldn't be. Um, I'm kind of with Dale on this one. It felt just it was blindingly unlucky. We had men back nine times out of ten that hits one of the legs and just rebounds or whatever. And, and I guess the other thing is like Wooten did sort of put a put a, a you know try put a block on it at Mister's leg. You know, like sometimes if there was no one you know trying to put pressure on him, then I'd be a bit more you know furious. But the ball fouled into Gary. It's on the box. Someone else tried to cover a block and it didn't hit his leg. You know what can you what can you do? Hmm. Yeah, I, I agree to a point. There was still uh, the the what I mentioned last week about the that defensive line dropping off too deep into our basically dropping off all in our box and no one stepping up. It felt like Wooten did step up, but he was just that half step too late. Maybe maybe because of that um, Ugarkovic move and his touch, but yeah, you know, it's just those those half steps are kind of the ones that are killers. And unfortunately, McGarry's was yeah. You don't need that in the fourth minute, should we say? I'm, 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 I'm struggling to uh, comprehend the uh, the fact that I'm the most negative one in this podcast today, which almost never happens. <laughs> so this, well, is, this is this is taking me some time. I've, I've got a, I've got a theory on this. I've got a theory. So I watched the game delayed. So I, I wasn't a bit where you, if you watch it with others or on social media at the time, there's this build up of, of frustration. Yep. And and I, I, it happens a lot in like the pub and stuff. Like, as soon as a couple of people in the pub get really annoyed at something, the next stray pass, everyone jumps on, and then it just it just snowballs. Even when you when you when I watch when I watch it separate for that, and everyone's like, "Oh, we were terrible." And I watched got to the end of the game, I was like, "Did we watch the same game?" Because I don't think we were that that bad on the totality of the game. I thought, yeah, sure. they scored they scored three goals from four shots. But they should have had four goals from five shots. So if Soteria hadn't got offside. I have um, another theory. Cam, Cam's a uh, reformed striker and he just looks at outcome because it's all about, you know, one just has to go in for him. Whereas Dale <laughs> and I are converted defenders and we're just like... And, 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 well, a, and a goalkeeper of note. So, yeah. yeah, okay. Well, no, I'm putting him Dale down as a defender. He's, he's transitioned. <laughs> He's, he's he's actually a central midfielder now, mate. So uh, oh, uh, more more of an eight than a ten or a six, but you know, he's, he's, I could yeah. I could see that I could at see masters that. level. Yeah, yeah. Another Cammy Devlin in there, just kicking the bejesus <laughs> out of people. No, that would make him a six. <laughs> oh, not, not, I am quite lippy though. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yes, you yeah. are. Yeah, that's. But you've always been lippy though. That's not changed. It's just that now you're lippy from the middle of the field instead of lippy from goalkeeper. Yeah. People can hear you when you're in the middle of the field as opposed to down one end. Yeah. Um, you, you, the um, listeners have probably noticed that we've just gone on a tangent and no attempt to bring this back because it doesn't get any better because um, no. Becca Dasmelia has pulled out a thunder bastard of yep. a shot. What are we talking? Six, six seven metres outside the outside the box? Cracking finish. Like, yeah. There's, there's no stopping that. It was just one of that that one I will I would put down whilst I can again consider the space that he was in to be a failing of our central midfield, I or not even that, more of a lack of a six. That finish was just special. It was beautiful. To me, it's like I'm I'm not worried about them giving space there if they're organized behind it. Because who the hell is hitting that shot again? You know, it's 
I, I know that we will concede another one of these because it's the next way, right? But someone whacking it from there, more often than not, it's going out for a throw-in, right? It's just... Unless it's Vinny Lear taking the shot. It's a hell of a shot, and he's got all of it. Uh, I've not seen, obviously, much of him, but you know, you wouldn't think he'd be playing in the A-League if he'll knock those every now and then. Yeah, I was just having a look at the uh, the XG for the shot, and it's 0. 0.03. Yeah. Uh, so I think, basically nothing. Wow. Basically, yeah. He, yeah, you don't score the, those. Even yeah. the McGarry one, I think, was 0. 0.05. It, it's like they were up 2-0 and didn't even have, a point one, have 0. 0.1 in their XG stats. It was just like, God, we've been utterly done here. Um, yeah, it... it with the exception of uh, the Crive's 39th minute, uh, I'm going to call it almost a consolation goal. We weren't, it didn't feel like we were really in it. We got a bit of ball, but just didn't quite know how to deal with it. And we certainly struggled with them going forward. Am I missing things in there? Is there a light of hope or is there there is some definite work, work on? I think once we settled into being, in fact, 2-0 down. I think we actually started to look a bit a bit better. Um, I think we created a couple of good chances, I think, before we even scored from memory. I think, did Wayne have one, I think, basically mm. his first? Actually, Wayne played well, and he did create and shoot a lot. Just that this was a game where his shots were going at the keeper, where occasionally you're going to have a, that kind of game, um, and it impacted him this time, whereas next time he might put three of them top bins quite easily. Yeah, yeah, I thought we came into it late in that second half, but unfortunately, as is as is the the next way at times, getting yourself two one back in the game, um, there was a bit of a switch off moment again, and I think maybe this is the we don't know how to start properly. You know, we don't know how to change those gears. Like when the pressure's off, two 0 down, it's easy to play football, right? You've got you know, you've got no choice and you've got no pressure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because, you know, they, they made a big deal about last year about how when we lost, you know, we conceded first, we lost every game. But in those games, I felt like we were really struggling to create anything and uh, we were under the pump for lots of periods of time. But it just felt like they got a couple of early goals. We kind of got back into it, started to be a bit better, created lots of chances, nothing, and a, and a couple of quite good ones, I think. Um, they'd had him had a couple, I think late Wayne had a few but I never felt like our goal was under attack you know like some of our normal away performances are like if we conceded three we probably should have conceded eight and Ollie's had a blinder or mm. Ronovich just had a blinder but it, it felt like they were just they went bam bam quite clinical and that was and that was that was it mm. it did feel like they were shutting up shop though once they took off um Piscopo there was basically there was basically a yeah, but that last 20 minutes, you're basically saying, well, we're quite comfortable defending this. We'll shore up yeah. that defence and we can take off the creative outlet. Um, admittedly, he played more than 59% of the minutes of the game, which was a surprise to me, to be honest. But once he came off, they were never going to create another thing. And no. uh, they, But they didn't feel, obviously didn't feel like they needed to because they didn't think they were going to concede another well, two goals to us. When you've got Buhaja and Soterio in your team, you've got to be feeling comfortable on the counter, you know, conceding territory and just looking to break, you know, in a, with uh, Piscopo the, not there. I don't think it changes your options that 
that much. Um, we should probably mention the uh, the what was what was the the real gut punch was getting back in the game and then conceding right before halftime um, to Bahagia, forty uh, fourth minute. That was kind of the, the the hammer blow for this game. It's it's they talk about that golden window, you know, five or ten minutes at the end of the first half and then the 10 and the, the beginning of the second half, that's when you want to be scoring. And this one, when you're already, you know, up a goal, that, yeah, I, I can't tell you how many TVs got turned off at half time. There's another one of those ones, like it was quite a good counter, but then there's absolutely no way you would expect Soterio to put a left foot across to the back post like he did. Yep. I don't remember him being able to do that for us. Like he's just... Lobbed one to the back post. It's just cleared. It's a perfect ball. It's just cleared, I think. Laws. Yeah. The bend and the dip. And there was a defender who was near the back post. Wasn't watching their runner, but you know, who thinks they're going to dip one over the top of someone who's six foot three? That's, that's the point of us with Soterio, though, wasn't it? It was, always was. He was missing that from his game, his ability to actually control those things that he's putting through the box yeah. and stay on side, obviously. But With his off he'd, he'd always, Yeah, but he'd always get in position. He'd always get in great positions, but then his finishing would always let him down and his passing was, wasn't great. But if he could execute like he's executed there on a regular basis, he'd be an absolute quality player. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunate. Um <laughs> We're getting on to halftime now. Uh, we've we heard of me on the pod earlier this, uh, well, a couple of weeks ago, talking about how the one thing he really wanted was Clayton Lewis to step up and become the player that he thought had uh, and showed the potential that he's got. Uh, he'd seen enough and and yanked him at halftime and put on um, Nicholas Pennington. That's that was surprising when you're chasing the game to me. Because obviously, well, I was watching Delay and I saw that he got yanked, and people were like, "Oh!" And then I, I, I was watching him quite carefully. I, it's hard to see like what he did particularly wrong to deserve it, um, and and maybe it's small things that that he's been given instructions that he wasn't doing around, you know, staying centrally or or what. But I can't think of any of the goals were particularly his his fault. Actually, I think it might not necessarily have been something that he'd done at all. I think it purely was he wanted, because of the space that uh, Newcastle were exploiting between the two lines uh, and not having a six to fill in that gap, he wanted someone more defensively minded in there to stop them filling in, uh, to stop them executing within that space. So it might just be because Lewis is an eight and Yugakovic uh, rates, he genuinely wanted someone like Pennington, who's much more of a holding midfielder, much more of a, of a scrapper and a fighter and not a creative influence uh, to shore up what was a, what was an issue area. So it might it generally might not just, it might just be he sacrificed Lewis because he thinks Yugakovic is better as playing as a sole eight than Lewis. Yeah. Totally agree. I mean, we've we've kind of said how Pennington's game is his defensive positioning and the like, and definitely not his passing. So, yeah, it, it would be a real shame if Lewis gets kind of left on the outer because he's not able to, you know, fill that gap. Same way Ugarkovic can't really fill the gap of a six as well. Which is a shame. And, and to um, be fair, that wasn't his best game either. That wasn't Yugakovic's best game. No, no, it the wasn't. The previous two but... games, he set a standard which was quite high. Whereas this time, it's like he's more coming back to a mean. And it's not necessarily that he wasn't playing, you know, to his normal level. 
maybe that is a normal level and he's just been exceptional in the last couple of weeks or he's had an off day, you know, that sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah, um, I know we've been talking about Pennington's passing, but he played one quite delicious ball, I think. It might have been to Van Haddam to put him through on goal when he, he mm. scuffed the shot. So he's kind of a strange one, eh? Like, I think he has got an okay passing range, I think. Just as when he puts under, gets put under pressure, he has to make a decision. His decision-making is bad, and that makes his passing bad. I don't think his passing is actually particularly bad. It's just he doesn't know when where to go and who to, who to play to. Yeah, I think you're kind of almost there with him. It's just It looks like when he's got time to look up, he can actually play a bit of a magic pass because he's played a few you know, where he's skipped, uh, skipped a line or gone straight to someone. But as soon as you say he's under pressure, he's, he's looking down and keeping that ball secure. And he's looking for the easy option. It's like he doesn't, he's not quite aware, or either that, or I remember um, we've had a couple of European players here who go to do a simple uh, drop off pass. I think it might have been um, Steinman when he first came. You know, he'd look to get rid of the ball straight away and expect a player to be somewhere. And he'd just play the no look pass because he's just like, yep, a player will be there. And there was just no one there, and the ball would just skate merrily across the midfield. So maybe it's a bit of that. But he didn't have a bad game, and we certainly looked better with him on the park. I think I think maybe one other thing that perhaps wasn't quite clicking is I don't think um, Costa is a is a wide ten. Not anymore. Um, I, I don't I don't think that's his game anymore. I think as soon as he got moved up front, and I can't remember who, was it old came on wide. Yeah, he started getting in behind, making some good runs in between fullbacks and and the centre backs, um, and looked much more dangerous. And to be fair, Costa's um, defensive work rate um, was a bit a bit shoddy. The, the goal, the long range goal. If you watch Costa, he kind of goes to block and then pulls out because he knows it's going to be smashed. And he kind of he steps back out of out of the line. And I'm like, man, that's such a poor commitment to, to the cause. It's like you just all you got to do is throw a leg out and you probably blocked it. And he's kind of taking a step back to get out of the way. I'm like, Ugh. yeah, yeah. I I must admit I have not been impressed with. Costa in this team like I, we all know that Costa can play and he can still play he was doing it last year but it's just we haven't found the right spot for him and maybe that that short you know the short central uh, attacker is his role now you know he's just got to be moved further in and, and probably behind Wayne right like yeah you mean in priority yeah 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 yeah, yeah I, I mean Wayne has been playing well he's as fast, I don't know about his the whether he's running lines as well as Costa, but he's certainly creating opportunities, and he's, he's still got size and youth on his side. You were, I just, it doesn't feel like that the person when talking about this, the personnel that he's recruited into the team fit that four two 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 system that he wants to play. For just this reason, it feel it feels like we should be playing something completely different um, with the big man, little man up front if that's what you're talking about with Zavada and um and Costa or playing Wayne as the target man and having the other two on the bench with Suss and Krayev and stuff and, and old in the midfield. And it just doesn't feel like a, that four two 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 is really going to fit the guys that that are there. No. Yeah, it, I mean I mean you think the last couple of games we've had two of our number tens out. Um so the kind of depth we've kinda of had to throw Costa there because of because of that. Um and I think it's it's just given us not as much as the other two would have in the same position. Yep, that's fair. Um, 
but now that you've got, and I guess we're going to move on to this uh, with the personnel coming back, it's still, it still it feels like we are so log jammed into that final third that you can't get all the talent on there using the system you've got. And maybe you don't want to. Maybe you want to have them on the bench, keep some fresh. Do you know whatever? I'm not a coach. I can't tell you what what he's thinking. But it just it just feels like that the personnel there aren't the personnel to do a four two two two. Hmm. I, yeah, I, I think that that formation is very it, it's very specific. It, it's like it's not an adaptable system. You've got to if you have the right players for it, it's really effective. But if you don't it's really hard to fit people in. It's where you've got why um, David Ball, why we've been missing him so much, is his ability to to blend those those lines in, even though they're spread up because of his work rate, means that even though he's not contributing a tremendous amount in his core roles, he actually makes everyone else on the park better by helping them out do the donkey work. Um, speak, as you were saying, speaking of, uh, looks like he is uh, getting the jersey back on, um, being included in, the, included in the playing squad for the next game, which is interesting news. I, I don't think he'll make the match squad. Um, I think Ufi last mm-hmm. week said uh, he was expecting Rufa and Ball to play some games for the reserve side, and I can't imagine that a guy who's... The last only last couple of weeks has been kicking a ball. Was going to go straight into a straight into an A League game. I wouldn't have thought. No, and if he did, it's not going to be many minutes. It'll be right at the end just to get him on the park and get some something into his feet. I agree. Yeah, oh, he's definitely not starting. That's for sure. Uh, but and I would agree with anyone else but Ball. Like he's not getting minutes. He's not. He's there f- to get a get the um get the match fitness um just being around the team. But with Borley, you never know. The guy stays pretty fit, and he's very motivated. And he, the, he played on basically a broken foot. There's match fitness, and then there's running fitness, right? And they're quite different things. Oh, for sure, for sure. But I mean, the guy's so determined. Yeah, I just think you're going to get better, a better return if you play go and play 45 minutes for the reserve side than play 10 minutes at the end. I and with anyone else, I would agree. Totally. But Borley's one of those characters. Sometime he's just the sort of guy that can, he can light up for 10 minutes. I'm not saying they should play him, by the way. I, I think at his age, with his injury record, you, you take it gently and you work it, cause especially with Sass returning now as well. Um, he's a guy that's been had a full preseason. He he's, has had two weeks off, so he'll be, he'll be champing at the bit, I would have thought, to come back and play a bit of football, seeing as he only got. Was it twenty minutes? Yeah. So I think they should yeah hold off on Borley making the match day squad, mm-hmm. uh, especially to travel to Oz. Like make here yeah, make make if you're going to play him before the World Cup break, make it a home game, make it easier on him to you know for that uh, and take away the travel necessity. Um, but I think they should pot, because of who we have, we have such an array of attacking talent. We don't necessarily need him up there give him the chance to recover, play those minutes for the reserves team because the reserves have got a lot of games between now and the end of end of November. So this is the time to be trialling and getting those minutes in, right? And they'll still be there when the World Cup break is on, play him and the reserves up to the end of the World Cup break. And then once they're back after that, play the um, come back into the A-League, you'll be match fit. Yep. Having yep. had plenty of minutes in the legs. Um, so with that, un- as, as taken as a given, um, 
Sass comes back in, does he go back in and start in place of Costa? I'm 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 throwing him under the bus. Feel free to. So you you look at your front four as being BK Sass Zavada and Wayne. Yes. Costa on the bench as your as your yeah. fifth striker. Yep. Yeah, I think I think you're struggling to leave Wayne out. Um, he's looked certainly looked our most dangerous player. Um, and he's even I say even on the weekend, whilst he wasn't successful, his you know because his finishing just happened to be one of those weeks where the keeper was positioning was good, and you know Wayne was happy to be hitting it down the middle. Um, he was still he still looks threatening and potent whenever he's on the park. Um, I think you'd struggle to leave him out, but who you're dropping to start him, I'm not sure whether you'd drop Zavada or you'd drop Costa. Yeah, for me it's Costa. I don't think he's right in that wide 10, as Dale says, and I just don't think he offers the options that, like, Zavada offers genuine differences, whereas Costa, I, we've got quick men. We've got guys good with the ball at their feet, and he's not going to do the defensive duties as well, which we know that um, uh, Sass seems keen to do. I'm not I'm not sure if he can make a tackle, to be quite honest, but he, he gets back. I've seen him for 25 minutes, yeah. buddy. <laughs> well, I've seen him, we've seen him in the Australia Cup, and he does he does get back there. I'm, I haven't noted his defensive efforts, but... He, he was zero for a moment, I think, wasn't he? Before... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well, what are we counting that, that red card? Uh, yeah. Zero successful tackles. Yeah. Jules Watton, zero. Yeah. Um, so... I mean, Dale, you haven't you haven't thrown your opinion in there. No, I agree. I think uh, I think it's it's straight um, Costa for Sass. I think. Yeah, I, I don't see any other any other way. I mean, the only is, is Costa stays and Sass comes off the bench. But um, yeah, I mean, I'd start I'd definitely start him. Yeah. Um, so that obviously we come back to the um, the central midfield field pairing. Do we think that that was enough of a rocket up Lewis that he's going to? He's going to be showing the boss what he wants to see, or do we think Pennington comes in? Because to get yanked at half time, that's that's a statement, right? Coming up against Melbourne City, I think having an extra body, more defensively minded in there is probably not the worst idea. Oh, Dale plumps for Pennington. Yep, it's I'm genuinely surprised, Dale, but I agree. Um, and I and that's not a call against Lewis; it's purely a call taking into consideration the opposition that we're playing. Um, Melbourne City, yeah, they're potent. We need we need the six. We need the uh, we need that space to be covered. We can't run the risk of being overrun in there again. Um, not against a team with potent. We were lucky because uh, I think they're missing somebody. Um, saw a tweet. I'll come back to that. Um, so they might, you know, that, that's a bonus for us, but they're, they're at a they're a potent team. They're a, they're oh, a very very good good side. Yeah, and into the back four, we've we had Sutton taking over. Well, starting for the first time season. Do we think he um, starts again this game? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think some of his crossing was a bit bit, bit average, but I think he just gets up and down that <clears throat> touchline a bit better. He definitely comes into the, the play where they push. Cry of a bit more centrally, and he he's overlapping down that left wing, like a couple of times against the Jets, like he exposed them quite a bit, um, because they're all, all tracking, all the defenders are tracking centrally, and he was just hanging out on the left wing by himself, but his obviously final delivery wasn't 
up to scratch. Although I guess you could say he got an assist, didn't he? Because he made it made the pass to Crave for the goal. I think. Sorry, I was wrong. It was Lafondra that's out this week. It was uh, all one tweet, but it was uh, mentioning the Sydney striker. So my mistake. Sorry. Um, oh, good mate. Uh, we're all about the mistakes here. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I've got to say, I think Sut starts just because his ability to deliver that cross. We've seen him do it for a couple of seasons now. His crossing is pretty good. He gets up and down, which I thought um, Moragas has actually done really well as well um, for what's his first proper starts for a, for a team, I believe. Mm. Um, Defensive, defensively, Moragas has looked good. Um, and he has got up and down. I think Sutz is better moving forward, probably Moragas better in defence. In that situation, I'd probably play Moragas in this game because of the opposition. Um, but... I don't think you lose an you don't lose overly much between them. You know what I mean? They're both very good young players. Well, yeah, I I would disagree. I think Sutton's a better player. I think just as I think there's no point going forward if your if your cross isn't isn't actually getting in the right spot. You're just basically kicking the ball away. You're just doing it in the final third rather than the middle third. What do we think as far as tactics? Do we actually think that we need to change anything, or is this just like no, no, it's city. We just need to hold on. Encounter. I mean, that's what we did in the Australian Cup game, doesn't it? They, they had possession and um, we pinged them a couple of times. And Jamie Claren was apparently on the field, but I don't remember him doing anything in that game. No, he had a couple of me- nightmares, I think. I do remember him because he, he scuffed a couple of, he ruined a couple of awful, you know shots that he should have been taking. But yeah. Yeah, it's, it's awful when you get one of these games where you're just kind of like, oh God, and then we've got to face City the next time. It's it, it's it, it, I agree. It's it's going to be a it's going to be a tough tough match this time out. But got to play them all. And yeah, I think um, it's a shame we had that performance against Newcastle because if again if we put in a performance like we had in the previous week, it's the backs to the wall effort in the first week, and obviously a much better, much improved performance for. 80 minutes against CCM for putting that performance against Newcastle. We probably look all right this week and probably quite confident going into this game. So, yeah, it's hard to know. Do you think if we hadn't considered that last-minute goal to Adelaide, everyone would be a lot more cheery? Yeah, maybe. Maybe not even after that performance, though. The Newcastle, that first half of Newcastle, obviously, was quite demoralising to concede three and should have, what like, effectively should have been a fourth if uh, they had managed to stay on side. Um, that's quite a demoralising effort, even if you do significantly improve in the second half. But, you know, there's lots of, lots of narrative around that second half performance of us improving in Newcastle being quite happy not to have to chase it because they're leading by two. So yeah, there's there's lots of influence in that. But perhaps we would. Perhaps we would. Perhaps if we hadn't had that 10 minutes of uh, poor performance against CCM, we'd be thinking the same, you know, oh, that's just a blip, we'll be okay. So, yeah. Cool. Let's go around the other games. Uh, Mariners getting turned over by Perth. Um, it makes me even sadder about Dropping points to the Mariners if you get turned over by Perth, who do not look good. Yes, Central Coast are dog shit, man. They were real bad. Yeah, they weren't good against us. They had 10 minutes. They had 10 minutes against us where they played well, and that's it. And the rest of the time, they were awful. Yeah, yeah those those are starting to look like real points dropped, unfortunately. Uh, Sydney drew two all with Adelaide. A very, very controversial red card. I'm sure you've seen it all. I have forgotten the the man, uh, the player's name, but basically he's gone. Ubisaki because he's in my Ubisaki. fantasy team, so I'm real filthy about that. Yeah, 
as he should be. Um, he's gone sliding in. Player not really anywhere near. He's He has gone studs up, but there's no play around. He's flicked the ball away and about a metre and a half, maybe two beyond the ball. He's slid in and just rested up against the the um, Sydney City player, uh, Sydney FC player, who's thrown himself on the ground, um, clutching his knees, uh, and the ref sent him off. Uh, I mean, there was a, there was a there was a decent decent touch. I can see why you why you give. It. I'm very surprised the the suspension's been overturned because um, I, remember the, 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 I mean the the, yeah. the threshold for overturning I think is um, not wearing yellow and black. <laughs> uh, something like um, could could a ref have given a card like not should he have but could is it a instance where he could have yeah which is why Rufin never got off his one against MacArthur that time is because a referee could have given one not where they should have so I'm surprised he he um, he got off that yeah yeah I agree I I think you could have made the you could easily have made the case yeah that's a yellow that's a bit silly mate you could hurt someone. But you didn't, and well, you know. So it's it's unusual that I think that he's given, been gotten away with not getting the suspension. I don't think it was a red at any stage. Um, he was he was the player that was coming into uh, towards the ball was in Ibisaki's uh, eye line the entire time. He knew exactly where he was and just slid in to flick the ball away and move and get the position back it feels a bit rough but um i think uh which one of the was maybe the perth coach said that it seems like if you go on with studs up this season and i was it was adelaide it was carl it was after he he said they're trying to clamp down on any tackles contact with with studs which essentially that was so maybe um maybe that referee was taking that memo Quite literally, it, it certainly um, calls and uh, makes a curiosity of the next game, uh, victory versus City, uh, two uh, sorry two nil win to City, a red card to victory. I did not see this game. I only saw the uh, Nani contact, <laughs> not with the ball, a bit of an an ankle buster. Oh yeah, it was absolutely yeah. I think Brillante, yeah, his second yellow card and. So they cleaned the dude up. I can't remember yeah. who it was. Yeah, uh, yeah, entirely fair. Yeah, entirely so fair. I, red card. I think he got back leg, didn't he? Didn't even get front leg. Came sliding in so late, it was just kind of like, buddy, you're really asking for something. But yeah, I was surprised yeah. that uh, Nani apparently had a bit of a dig at the officiating. Um, I, I think mainly about his uh, him giving away the penalty by stomping on someone's ankle, which yeah. I thought was. Yeah, mate. You, that you was some. Yeah, I think the initial free kick was given, wasn't it? And then it was turned into a penalty inside the box, if yeah. I remember rightly. Yeah, uh, but that was that was fair. Like I didn't have an issue with that giving, being given. It was a genuine contact inside the box that was and not was... called for. Shouldn't have done. Um, I I think the only thing he could really uh, be upset about officiating wise was the number of fouls that get committed against him. But that's going to happen all season because he's a talented player and mm-hmm. he's going to have to get used to that as Ulis de Vila has and all the players that are talented that have come before him and you know that and will come after us because that's the way of this and, and the nature of this league. So he's uh, he's complaining about the wrong thing. 
yeah, he should uh, any any uh, import that comes in should be played the tapes of what uh, Davila gets the treatment he's gotten every single game. Yeah, yeah. or Piscopo last season actually for that matter. Um, Wanderers fought out a dishwater draw against the Raw. Um, this was not the game that the fans are hoping for. Um, I didn't see all of it. What I did see... Saw none of it. <laughs> oh, yeah, you probably did not miss anything. Uh, and Western United fighting out a one-all draw with MacArthur. It's uh, left the um, table pretty tight by round three, with the exception of City streaking out in front. Three wins from three. It's amazing there's five teams that still haven't won a game yet. It yeah. seems quite quite strange after three rounds. We are, yeah. I think, sitting at eighth. But we're eighth equal. We could easily be. We're only. We could be tenth, but we're ahead on goals scored. Goals scored, yeah. So it's gone, yeah, all the way down. Yeah, it looks like this is going to be a bit of a tight season unless some form is is found by all parties. I've, I must say I haven't watched every game, but it looks like the the standard is pretty up and down between teams. Like lots of teams have had a good game and then an absolutely terrible game. Lots of teams have looked quite bad. I don't know if that's um, a reflection of reality, but it seems like Sydney doesn't look very good. Perth look garbage. Adelaide, huh? Brisbane, huh? MacArthur, yeah. Newcastle, even Newcastle, I don't think were that great in the two games. No, Western, they weren't. Western Sydney have, have stumbled their way to two wins somehow. Like It just seems like there's lots of teams in the middle that are just like a bit ho-hum. And if you can if you can make it click and get performances in, you're going to get some points, which is what which is what City has done, right? Um, yeah, and they had it easy in the last one. Do we think there's any correlation between the low crowd numbers? You know, they're just they're not getting up for these big games and putting quality performances in because there just aren't big games when there's small crowds. It's an it's an abstract theory, I'll grant you. But I actually think the, the crowd numbers for the league aren't actually that bad. Just the uh, expectation of having you know fifteen to twenty thousand every single game, and the spawning environment we're in is just unlikely. Um, it's not Europe. It's not South America. It's not, and even the MLS. That be to be fair, or you know, it's not a major league. And there are a lot of other sports here uh, who compete for that same market. Seven to tens is a good number for. The market that we currently sit in, so I don't, I don't think, I don't think those are bad crowds at all. To be fair, well, except Western United and MacArthur's are terrible. Yeah, but yeah, those three thousand ones, yes, I can see they are horrendous. Yes, yeah, that that's not good for MacArthur if you know they have been doing okay, obviously in the last season and a bit, and still only getting those small crowds. Uh, Western United still struggling with crowds too. Um, and struggling with a home paddock, but, you know, nothing new there. So we've got some other news around the Knicks men's team. We've got fixture updates for January uh, the 22nd versus the Mariners. It is now at Sky Stadium. Um, It's been confirmed. The same uh, venue for the March 4th versus the Jets. Um, March 12th versus Sydney is confirmed to now be at Eden Park, as has the April the 16th game versus Brisbane Roar, which was Sky Stadium, is now Eden Park. Uh, the only one outstanding, I believe, January the 28th, which is still to be confirmed, uh, David Dome 
going on social media saying he's they just can't find venues. They've gone as far afield as even Nelson, I believe. Yeah, uh, he mentioned on um, he's mentioned on the Twitter uh, this evening that. Um, they're having some like Nelson is a great location and really good, a really good place to play. But they're struggling with actually being able to get both teams there in a timely manner. So, uh, and that's bring them into Wellington. A pretty big issue. Sky Ferry, I tell you, put them on a four seater and see what happens. Yeah, but do you know how many four seaters they have to do to get all the people plus the yeah. equipment over there? Honestly, it's, mate, it just it's an aerial it's taxi. Not happen. It'd be almost easier to fly everybody down from Auckland, fly <laughs> back up there. But I think there's an issue with the length of runway. So there's only so so size of pl- so such a yeah. size of plane you could fly in there. She's not big. Nah. So there's going there's going to be there's there's going to be a few problems. So interesting hearing him say it, talk about the different grounds as people pop them up as suggestions and like Hamilton, but it's um it's a long weekend, so the stadiums not interested. Like none of the Auckland stadiums are available. New Plymouth. Um, it's not available when they have some, what was it, contractual arrangements that they can't work. The Ring of Dirt, the Ring of Dirt, um, didn't uh, reply. So I know they've had uh, initial contact with um, uh, with the mayor up that way, um, but Domi was saying that they didn't get back. Um, Napier's not interested, I don't, uh, and I don't think Christchurch was available either. So. There, in Dunedin, I don't know official word on Dunedin, but that's quite a hike to get down to Dunedin. It's not the cheapest place to get flights to, especially from Wellington. So um, not ideal. Um, I still haven't forgiven the Ring of Dirt for um, that Sevens tournament they had way back when, where someone got, what did they get? They got cut open by a bottle that was, or a bit of glass that was on the field and got locked jaw. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I've played there. I understand. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's. I actually think Palmer, in this situation, Palmer's North or somewhere like that is actually a really good solution if you can make it work. But if there's if there's there is nowhere else, unless you're going to go somewhere like a Potidua Stadium. But if you're going to do that, you have to do it as a as a one off, and you have to put up you know additional seating and changing rooms, and you yeah. know there's there's a lot going on there. It's not it's you can't do it as a one-off because the cost of actually doing it will be prohibitive. You'd need to do it as a multi-game sort of thing. And when it's only one game you're looking at, there's some issues there. Yeah. The, the, the ring of dirt does have its appeal in that it is a ready built stadium and um, the runway there is easily big enough to, to get a big plane. And the problem is that big planes don't go there. If you could, if you could find a way to charter it full of, two teams and fans and whatever and just drop them straight on Palmy. Yeah, sure. But yeah. I, I don't think the Knicks has got quite that pulling power. No, no. And so, so there's, a, there's a lot of water to go under bridge to actually get anything like that over the line. And I don't know don't know a viable solution at this point in time. But No. January, January 28th is coming soon, though. It is. We have one more. Uh, piece of news to insert in here. Uh, Sean Gill has a new job. He has gone from, I'm not sure of his official title now, um, probably ball and player wrangler. No, he was operations manager oh, for, he, the men's, for the men's team. He was a wrangler, mate. He was an absolute <laughs> wrangler. Um, yeah. yeah, he's progressed through the um, organisation, basically doing everything that needs to get done, um, all the way from talking to agents, dealing with players, Ops managing, team managing, um, yelling at officials. He's 
he's shown a real flair for that. Uh, he's now the director of football, which uh, he's gone on to say that is not your traditional European-style director of football, who's all about the technical aspects, the, the kind of um, more abstract technical um, teachings that would come through an academy. He stressed that that's not him, uh, which is good because I don't think it's him either. Um, but it sounds like he's going to be taking over more operational management of the um, uh, academy and the structure and players coming, player development coming through. Um, have I missed anything out there, Cam? No, you're you're exactly right. He's going to be uh, it's going to be overseeing um, all aspects of the uh, competitive side of the club, so the the men's and the women's and the um, academy side. So. Um, a great role and a great opportunity. Um, obviously, next logical step from where he's been. He's been in this role that he was in for the last nine years. He's been around. I remember when I remember him starting because I dealt with him uh, when he was at Team Wellington. That's where I met uh, met Gilly about must be eleven or so years ago now. Um, so yeah, so um, he's been in this role for a long time and he's done uh, some outstanding work and his hair has been the proper workhorse of that club so and deserves some credit for some really good positive stuff that's happened so um yeah good on him it's uh it's a great opportunity i hope he makes the most of it yeah i i think um uh, there's a lot of people who will jump all over him for not doing this and that but the i think the problem that everyone forgets is that there aren't many qualified candidates for doing this sort of role and definitely not with uh, experience and experience within the club. So, yeah, I, I hope he, um, I hope the role suits him, and I hope he does well. Um, it mean would mean that the club has uh, that a better pathway forward. I think through the from the academy. We should we should get him in uh, maybe during the, the break uh, in the in the season and see. Actually, when, what, when we had it, we've had him on in the past and previous iterations of the pod, he was good value. Mm. Yeah, he's quite he's quite uh, quite a good chat. He doesn't mind some blatant honesty, and some of which we can actually even put on the pod. So, I mean, and, also that does open up another interesting question about who will slot into an ops manager's type position for the men's team. Obviously, because the women's have got one, uh, and you'll have a equivalent position in the academy as well. So, I can't imagine they're going to leave that vacant for overly long. But don't don't me with a bit more of a hands-on role. You about to tell Johnny Schmidt Ooh. as an ops manager. Yeah. Interesting call. I could see him being fiery enough to yell at the ref. Quite a fiery shout, to be fair. Um, but I think he's just taken on a new role as the uh, match, match commissioner for the A-League. Um, Is he? Yeah, so he's, he's one of the new match. He's the new match commissioner. It was There used to be two. There was always two. It has recently gone down to one, so they're just expanding it back out to two. It went down to one, I think, purely because of COVID, um, and we weren't just having that many games here. So, But now back out to, uh, now back out to two, and Johnny Schmidt is one of them. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, to be fair, sometimes these ops manager roles can uh, translate across sports, so maybe they'll be looking at, um, someone who's done the, the professional basis at a, at a different sport, you know, rugby, basketball, whatever. Uh, let's crack on and talk about the women because there's more uh, news there and better news, fortunately. Uh, we have four scholarship signings announced. Uh, two of the players have uh, were in the inaugural team, uh, 
Tereda Moana. Oh, God. Walker. Oh, God, is not her middle name, by the way. <laughs> uh, and Charlotte Lancaster. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I um, haven't. We should not do these things so late when I've been up early. Uh, Charlotte Lancaster and Walker were both uh, part of the uh, squad. Um, I think they were both down. I, I want to say downgraded, but it's been talked about as being just part of the squad. They're now scholarship signings. Uh, and also Georgia Candy and Michaela Foster have been brought in as those uh, the other two scholarship signings. There is the 10K for the first game, which so November the 20th, uh, the Knicks, uh, the Wahinics will host Melbourne City uh, for the first game. And it will be the first professional women's football game in New Zealand. And the, the club is targeting 10,000 people. So uh, they're going to do a bit of a more family-friendly spin. 3 p.m. kickoff and entry is free for kids and also a two-for-one ticket deal for adults. So you can't really go wrong, can you? You've got to go. Yeah. I love this. I think that this is exactly what they should be doing, getting getting them in. Um, it's at um, the stadium too as well. Yeah, it'd be, um, hopefully, they, hopefully they get well, at least close to it. Um, but I'm, I'm excited by the fact that whatever crowd they get, I mean, Wellington has the highest crowd for both a men's international, a men's domestic, a women's international and a women's domestic uh, game. So obviously oh. home of football and no doubt I'm sure some Aucklanders will hate that. Home of football, but not the, the unofficial national stadium. Uh, look, yeah. Look, look, look at that game this way, man. It's like you pay for yourself to go, and you can take your entire family with you. Yeah, you're basically yeah, yeah, you're basically yeah. saying you're, you're, you're going to go anyway. So just get your misses and your um well, and your kids. On. Yeah, okay. Get, get your significant other and the relevant children within your lives, and take them along. And you're and, and you're literally not having to pay any more than you usually would for a match day ticket. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, you'll shell out more and you know, drink and your food because you know you got kids with you and you know they're going to get bored because kids always get bored at sporting events. But it's still, it's a brilliant it's a occasion. You've got like to take them along to say they were part of this, and so also at three so pm. Well. So you, you can, can actually yeah. bring the 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 youngerish kids. Yeah. And still get the home in time for bed. So yeah. that, I love there's, that. There's no, there's no downside to taking them along to see this game at all. Remind me, is this one of the double headers? It's not, is it? No, no it's, it's not. Break. There's the mirror in the international Which I think break. is a good idea. It's a brilliant like, idea. Yeah, because you, you can't be taking the kids and have the double header because you've got to leave and take them home. Yeah. So, that yeah, good on you, Domi, for figuring that one out. Not getting the, the hand-wringing of a thousand parents. Uh, right, so that's the um, good news for the Wahinix. Uh Obviously, they're still just getting into their preseason, so there's not a whole lot to, um, to discuss there. Uh, the Weenix had a good win over Crosshitch United, three uh, one. Uh, now up to sixth, it's becoming almost a uh, goes without saying that they're, they're a mid table club and not a um, cellar dweller. I'm I'm loving this. Haven't seen the academy teams do well now. Yeah, I mean, that's a thing. It's just natural development over the time that the academy has been in existence, and you know now they've got such a good dedicated structure. They've got so many teams under the under the reserves team. They've got you know they, these kids aren't the ones that are 
just are coming into this environment. They've been in the environment for a period of time and they're playing with guys they've played with for years now at this stage. Mm. So, yeah, it's um, the culmination of years' worth of work to get to the reserves team rather than being the starting point of their of their adventure. So, uh, yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. It doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Uh, the rest of the um, results across the table were Kashmir Tech getting 3-1 over Melville, uh, Bubbles getting a nice 2-0 win over Birkenhead. That was a uh, great game. That was a really good game of football. Yeah, Bubbles are looking pretty decent from what I've seen. I've only seen little little bits and bobs, but oof. Yeah, well, 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 well worth watching Olympic play at the moment. They're doing some really, really good stuff. Unfortunately, Miramar Rangers going down again, this time 1-0 to Auckland United. And Auckland City, uh, the Navy Blue getting 3-0 over Napier City Rovers, leaves Auckland City uh, on top with 10, Bubbles uh, second with 9, Auckland United 8 and 3rd, Birkenhead rounding up the 4 with 7. And then a bit of a bun fight for... Kashmir Tech, Wellington, uh, the Knicks, and Napier City, all kind of within a point of each other in the middle of the table, and everyone else chasing. And in the case of Murray Rangers, having to chase very, very hard. Uh, Little Phoenix have a chance to go to to third, I think, after this round because they've got Miramar. So I I expect them to beat that Kashmir Tech and Birkenhead play. So that's the two teams above them. So if they draw that. And then Auckland United play Auckland City, so that's probably a loss for Auckland United. So they might be a, might go third. Yeah, could easily do that. Could come up Millhouse um, for them, uh, but it's still early days in the season. Only four four rounds so far. Fifth. Yeah, but they only they only play nine games, so this is going to be the the yeah, um, this is going to be the mid mid uh, midpoint game, and I think. Honestly, I think the guys that are currently sitting in the top four are the teams that are going to be fighting out for the final, um, which makes that win for Wellington Olympic over Birkenhead at the weekend such a massive result. It also means that Wellington Olympic in their first four games have played both Auckland City and Birkenhead, and they, um, which will probably be two of their hardest games, um, and they've come away with three points out of that, and they're still currently sitting second. So as the team flying highest from Wellington, I think they have a great shot at finishing top two. So that looks like it's everything for this week. Uh, thank you for joining me, Dale. Thank you, Cam. Um, hopefully we see a bit of a turnaround for not just the pod, but also the on the field as well. Um, thanks for listening. Good night.